0: Well, this morning I'm going to be looking into God's word, and I've titled today's sermon "Overcoming Big by Going Small." Overcoming big by going small. And as I was thinking about this, and I and I have to tell you, the Lord really radically changed where I was going in in His word. Uh, For uh, for a while now, I had been planning to do a a different sermon in Luke 17 about the end times. And I know Mother's Day and end times was going to be a weird combination, but I uh, was still prepared to go there, but then he really changed my heart to go to the text that we're looking at today. And, and as I was thinking about that text, I was thinking about here recently, you know, we had this really big storm come through. It was almost five, six weeks ago, right before Easter. And as that storm came through, uh, we had a, a tree that borders our house and our neighbor's house fall. It's their tree, but it fell, and it was a big, uh, about 40-foot Leland Cypress. And so uh, some men from Baptist men came out, and, and we chopped that thing up and, and made piles out of it. And it, it was a task to get that tree chopped up. And it was another task here this, uh, this Monday when we cleaned away all of the debris. But as I was considering that tree and, and seeing how that once it fell and we cut it up and all the debris was gone and all the effort that went into it, I look and I see that there is still a stump. And that stump is still firmly rooted in the ground. And as the tree fell over, you could see the power of those roots as it kind of ripped up the ground around it and even lifted some concrete that was there, uh, I guess, to help stabilize the tree when it was young. But uh, we look at that stump and know that it's going to take a whole lot more effort to get that stump gone than it was really even to cut down the tree itself. Because all those roots are going to have to be ripped out of the ground. And roots are really stubborn as they dig in and dig deep. And that's really what I want to focus on today. Maybe in your life you are dealing with something, a sin or a challenge in your life whose roots have dug deep into your heart or have dug deep into the very fabric of what you do. And as a Christian, you struggle with, how do I get rid of this? How do I uproot and get this sin out of my life. One of the things as a pastor that I have struggled with is the question of addiction. How best to counsel those who are struggling with substance abuse, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's recreational drugs, maybe it's even prescription drugs. How do we battle addiction? And as a pastor, what do I say? to one who is addicted and every day wakes up and tries to get away from this deep-rooted sin in their life. And they see it, and they see the destruction, and they don't know what to do. And I have pondered this, and I have prayed about this, and by God's grace, I feel like he has given me an answer that we will see in God's word. And so it is such good news for us this morning that if today you are struggling with some sin that, like that tree that fell, has left its roots still somewhere in your heart, you've cut the tree down, you've limbed all the branches, but the roots are still there, then I think God's Word today is going to be great news for you. And with that being said, Let's turn to his word in Luke 17, 1 through 10. If you have found that, even at home, if you are able, I would ask you to please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Luke 17, 1 through 10 says this. He said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Which one of you, having a servant, tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink? Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. Let's pray. Oh, gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the word that you've given. Father, I thank you that you've steered my heart in this way. And now, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move in the life of believers, Father, especially those who are struggling with ongoing sin, who don't know how to uproot it. Father, I pray that this would be a good news for them, that, Lord, it's you who uproots. Father, I pray that you would speak, move me out of the way. Father, that you would give me clarity of speech for these, your people. And, Lord, now I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock And my Redeemer, Father, I pray this in the sweet and the precious name of Jesus Christ, Amen. So, as we look at today's text, titling it "Overcoming Big by Going Small," I see that that's what's happening here in God's Word. And so, there's only two points to today's message, and the first of which is this: is there are big problems, big problems that we have to overcome, and we see those in these first four verses of the text this morning. And see, what Jesus is doing is he's going through and still speaking to the disciples, as it says. He's still giving kingdom ethics to them. But as he gives these kingdom ethics, they are received, and you can hear in the text how hard it is to either accomplish these or how hard it is to face them. And so he starts off by saying to the disciples, offenses will certainly Come, And this word offense there means grave temptations, and it gives a sense of a strong power of evildoing. And he's saying, in the gathered body of believers, there will always be these grave temptations that will enter into your midst. They're inevitable, these horrible evildoing. But then he goes on to say from there, these temptations will come in, but woe to the one through whom they come. And then he gives us this text that we are familiar with, that it would be better for that individual that a millstone be tied around their neck and they be thrown into the sea than that they would tempt these little ones from straying. And see, what he's saying in this is that as these temptations come in, woe to the believer or woe to the individual that comes into the midst of God's people and brings the temptation with them, i.e., they are the one causing others to stumble in this horrible, evil way. That by what they are saying or by what they are doing, that they are tempting and tripping up the little ones. And in that, there is a temptation to weaken faith and to move away from God and to engage in this wrongdoing. And see that little ones, we've often read that as children but there's a, it really means the flock of God, the children of God, all the children of God, whether they be young or whether they be old. Scripture so often speaks of the gathered church, the congregation, as little ones or little children. And so Jesus is saying, woe unto the individual who in whatever they're doing, whatever influence they have, tempts the family, the body, my children to engage in such evil acts. In fact, he says, it is so bad for this individual, it would be better for them that they would take a millstone, tie it around their neck and drown themselves, that that death would be preferable to the destruction they will cause by bringing the temptation. And of course, that millstone gives us a very vivid image of this gigantic round stone that an ox or a donkey would have to pull to uh, mill up grain or press olives. Tie that around in your neck and fall into the ocean and be drowned. That would be better than to you bringing this evil into the midst of my children and tempting them to step away. So that's a horrible and awful woe. And, and then he follows that up by saying, be On guard, you are to be a sentry in your life. You are to stand watch on the walls of your life so that you are not this person, for woe unto you if you become that way. Certainly, as a pastor, this this verse stands out to me because I can see in the life of the church many pastors who have fallen into temptation and then have drugged their congregations with them as they've fallen. And so there's a woe to leaders in this, but it's not just to the pastors. It is to every single Christian who would bring this evil into the life of the church and tempt the church to step away. He says, woe unto us, guard yourself, be vigilant that this doesn't come into your midst, be vigilant that you're not the one that causes this to occur. But then he comes out of that and he says, from this, be on guard that this is not you. But then he gets to this other point: If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So we are to both rebuke and to forgive our brother. And this is a simple statement, but it can be very hard in its execution, especially depending on the culture by which it's said. See, maybe for Jesus' culture, it's easier to rebuke and harder for, for, to forgive. And it may be in our culture, it's hard to rebuke because we don't want to offend. But he says, if you see your brother, one of my children, sinning, you are to rebuke him in that sin. And then if he asks forgiveness, if he repents, you forgive him. But it's not just forgiving. He takes it a step further that many of us today would look at and say, I don't know if I can do this. He says not only if he repents, forgive him, but look what he says in verse 4. He said, if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I want you to think about what Jesus has said here. I want you to think about that person in your life who would wrong you, who would hurt you, and do that seven times in a day. And that if they recognized their ways and came back to you and said, forgive me, Jesus says you are to forgive all seven times. See what he's saying there in this seven times. We, we know from scripture that seven is a holy number. So he's saying you are to forgive in a perfect manner. This would be echoed in what Peter says to the Lord. How many times should I forgive my brothers? Seven times? So he's taking this and he's applying it. And Jesus says, no, seven times 70. He's saying you are to always forgive. That's the whole point of what he's saying here. You are not to place judgment on the quality of the repentance of the individual. You're to forgive them. And see, that's hard for us to hear. That's hard for us to do because we would look and say, look, if I have to forgive you even five times, it proves to me that you don't actually uh, are, are repenting of this. You keep falling into it. Jesus says that's not the point. You don't judge the quality of their heart. You forgive. Why? Because God forgave us perfectly, and we continue even to this day to fall into sin. And I know that's hard for many of you. Going back to addiction, think of the one who is addicted to any substance and how often they hurt you and break your heart. And they come back and they say, I am so sorry. And At some point in time, you may have the temptation not to forgive. They say they don't mean it. Jesus says that's not the point. You're to forgive. And being Mother's Day, I think of this, that moms so often are the ones that show us this godly forgiveness. How often moms are the ones that take all of the abuse because they love their child and they grieve and they weep. But they are so quick to forgive and to care for each one of us in our failings. So thank you, moms, for modeling godly forgiveness. And so Jesus lays all of these out, and these are all very hard to accomplish. Some of the hardest texts that we face. And so that, that pushes us into the next section on this. Because in order for us to accomplish this forgiveness... In order for us to be on guard and not to steer anyone else away, this can only come from the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life and God's movement in our life. So, as the apostles overhear Jesus speaking to the gathered disciples, they hear this and they say, "Well, we need to have our faith increased." So, in the same way, if I the first point was this is that we have big problems to overcome The second point i see in the text is that there are small solutions small solutions and that sounds odd but i think it's going to make a little more sense here in just a second so again in verse 5 the apostles said to the lord increase our faith and see in mind of what's going on, what has just been said, you can almost hear in the text here the apostles saying to Jesus privately, that's a lot to do, Jesus. Uh, that's going to be really, really hard for us to accomplish. And we recognize how hard it is. And, and so they say, Master, increase our faith so that we may accomplish this. Increase our faith faith. And so it is good that the apostles recognize that there's nothing they can do in their own lives to increase the faith that they have in God and that faith is a gift from God and it can only be increased by him. And so they reach out to Jesus, increase our faith. And so it's interesting is that they ask for an increase is how Jesus responds. And he says this in verse six, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed. So catch the dichotomy that's going on there, increase our faith. And Jesus says, it's not about the quantity of faith you have. It's about the quality of faith that you have. They go big, he goes small, and he goes to the smallest seed that any farmer could have the mustard seed. And the mustard seed, we've seen it before in the text. What's interesting is you go through the Gospels and every time the mustard seed is brought up, it's brought up in a kingdom manner. And so the mustard seed for Jesus represents the kingdom, and in this case, it represents kingdom faith. If you go back to Luke 13, 18 and 19, he says this, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and how can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. He's saying something so small that when it's planted and cared for grows infinitely larger in size. From a small seed to a tree that birds Can rest in. So when the apostles say to him, increase our faith, he says, consider the mustard seed and how small it is. What he's really saying in here is that you don't need more faith, you need to put into practice the faith that you already have, no matter how small it is. And so we receive those words today for all of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, whether you have just begun or whether you are 60, 70, 80 years down the road and you are facing sin. You may look and say, what I am facing is impossible. I cannot overcome it. Increase my faith, O Lord. And Jesus will reply, the faith you have is all that's needed. Because in the same way that the kingdom is planted through a mustard seed and it grows, if you take what little faith you have, plant it, watch it grow. So he's fighting the apostles' thoughts of, I can't do this. I can't accomplish all these things without greater faith, O Lord. You need to give me more in order that I can forgive the person who wrongs me seven times in a day. He's fighting this thought process saying, no, all you have to exercise is the faith that you have. So why do I say that? It's because of the illustration that he gives us next. He says, with the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, that's an interesting illustration that he gives, and if we don't have context for the mulberry tree that he's talking about, then this may not make as much sense to us. But this mulberry tree is the sycamine tree, or the black mulberry bush that is found in the Middle East. And see, the sycamine tree, the black mulberry bush, has strong and deep roots. In fact, If the mulberry tree is taken care of, its roots will go so deep that the tree itself has been known to last 600 years or more. And any farmer coming up to a mulberry tree would recognize the task at hand to try to rip that mulberry bush out of the ground because of the extensive root system. It would be a near-impossible task that you would have to bring many people into to rip this tree out. And what Jesus is saying is even with the smallest amount of faith that you would exercise, you can command that mulberry tree to get up, uproot itself, and go be planted in the ocean. We see the amazingness of this. And what we are to understand is that the faith that we have in our Father, if applied, no matter how small that faith is, God will move in supernatural ways to uproot that which is deep inside of us and toss it into the sea. And this is the good news for any that face sin that is deeply rooted in, whether it's an addiction or whether it is something else, is if those roots go deep, if you practice the faith that you have, God says that tree gets uprooted. I will be the one to do this. You can say, uproot, and it will uproot. It's not you who uproots it. It is me who uproots it. And in fact, he goes on further to, to put another analogy in this in Matthew 17, 20, where he says, you can say to a mountain, get up and move, and the mountain will move. This is another thing that has deep roots. When you think of a mountain and how deep it goes into the earth. And so if the mulberry bush was not enough of an illustration, the mountain should show us. That which you face, that is so entrenched, that seems impossible to get out of your life. You don't need more faith. Just exercise the faith that you have. And see, by exercising your faith, your faith grows, especially as you see God moving. And so you can overcome the sin in your life by God's power through the mustard seed faith that you have. Jesus is saying you don't need an extra measure of faith to overcome the hardships, you just need the faith you have. And so he carries this lesson further in this by giving us an example of how do we plant this seed? How did this seed grow? It grows out of simple obedience. It grows out of simple obedience. And I have to tell you what was interesting is that I was coming in this and the Lord was pulling me to this text. I struggled with these next few verses. I struggled with how do they relate to what we've just read. And then by God's grace, it it dawned on me what's happening here. As Jesus is saying, this mulberry bush has already given an illustration of these deep roots and this small faith, he's now saying this is how you put that faith into practice. You put faith into practice by obedience. And not only do you put faith into practice in the same way, if they're saying, increase my faith, and he's showing a small mustard seed, he says, no, don't go big, go small. He is also reemphasizing in these next few verses, but you must also recognize how small you are compared to a big God. And so we come to seven through 10. Here's the illustration of obedience. Which one of you having a servant tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. Instead, he will not... Will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you can eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did what he was commanded? And in the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. And see, what's being said in this text, there's a, there's a, a, a wrinkle and a twist on, on the terms thanks and worthless and, and that's what we're supposed to see in this, is that we, we have, will the master give thanks to the servant for doing his job? Well, that thanks is not in the same way that we would understand thanks and say, thank you for a job well done. There's a thanks in here that's, that's implying worth and subservance. Will the master bow down before the servant for the job that the servant was supposed to do already? Or will the servant recognize that the worth that he has is found in the master? And so this worth that's being said in this, this thanks and this worth, is not talking about that God doesn't value us. It's talking about which one is worthy of worship. Is it the slave or is it the master? And so what he does in this is he says, okay, which one of you that has a servant a slave that has a task assigned to them, when they work all day, when they're coming home, do you, the master, stop what you're doing and then you prepare the meal and then you become subservient to the slave so that when they come in, it's like the job that you did today, you were supposed to do, but now I am serving you and I'm bringing your worth up above my own. He says, no, that's not how that would work. You know this. He said, instead, the one who works recognizes that, yes, there's a task to be done, do it. But then when they come inside the house, they recognize the task isn't over. The day is not yet done. There's more yet to do. Serve the master. And once all the tasks are complete, then you yourself can be fed. And that's when he says at the end of this, in the same way, when you've done all that you were commanded You should say we are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. And he's saying, does the slave do what the slave has been told to do? And the answer is yes. And so what he's telling the apostles is this. I've commanded you to forgive. So does God bow down before you when you have done part of the task? that you are expected to do? Or no matter how hard it is, no matter how long the labor, no matter when the day is done, do you complete the task because you recognize who you are before the one who is worthy? He says humble obedience before the Lord actually increases our faith. So in both accounts, he's saying where the apostles say increase our faith, Jesus says, no, use the faith you have. And as that faith that you apply on an ongoing basis, it'll grow. But then also do what I've commanded. It's before you. There's an expectation of obedience in it. And as you obey and recognize that it is not you who are worthy of, of worship and you recognize your smallness before the greater master so that you are not taking credit for just something you were asked to do. You are not getting puffed up like the Pharisees do in pride that they checked off their box today. You recognize that you are supposed to do this and you recognize the glory of the one above who has given you the command, then you yourself give up your pride, and become humble, and you recognize your own smallness in regards to the master. And when you get small, God gets big. So in both cases, the deep-rooted sin in your life, God is the one who will uproot it, and he will do so with what faith you have. And as you put into practice that faith, your faith will grow just like the mustard seed will. And it will become infinitely larger through its planting and its nurturing. And as you serve God and he says, forgive, and you put that into practice, and you recognize why he said forgive, and you recognize that it is, our Christian duty to do so, what happens is is you begin to see your own smallness in it and his bigness. And then as you see your smallness, your faith grows in comparison to him. And then, then as we see in other parts of the gospel, then our service goes above and beyond as our faith continues to grow. So in closing today, I want to say this. I know that there are some out there today who do not know how to overcome their sin because it is so deeply rooted. You look and you say, it's not a simple matter of me just deciding that I'm not going to do this. It has a hold over my life. I'm chemically changed because of this thing. I don't know what to do. The good news that I can offer you this morning is this, is that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know by faith he rescues and redeems you, even if that's the faith you have, put it into practice. The smallest things in God's kingdom become the greatest things in God's kingdom. And that small faith you have handed over to a big God and put into practice in your life will begin to uproot this mulberry tree in your heart that you can't get rid of. And it will be picked up and it will be tossed in the sea. You don't need to cry out, I need more faith. Jesus says, put into practice the faith that you have and let my Father grow it. We all need that. He says, exercise the faith you have and watch God do wonders. Practice obedience in your life and watch God do wonders. See the smallness of yourself in comparison to God and watch him do wonders. We all need that today. And yes, yes, we want our faith to increase. But listen to the words of our Savior. Put into practice what faith you have and watch what God will do with it. And so I encourage anyone who may be watching or listening this morning, especially, especially if you don't know Jesus and you are enslaved to something. The beginnings of your freedom. Start with recognizing the bigness of God and the smallness of your life and giving yourself over to him and repenting of your sin. We've seen that even in our life as Christians, we are to forgive seven times in a day. Know for certain that our good God will forgive you cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me, and you will be saved. And then he will hand to you the mustard seed of the kingdom that can be planted in your life. And if through obedience you cultivate that seed, the roots of the sin, the roots of the addiction, will be yanked out of your heart. And that's the hope that I can give you today. Start with repentance. Start with acceptance. And start with belief that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. I beg of you this morning, give yourself to him. And if you want to know more in the comment section, however you are watching this, whether you're watching live or later, put a comment that says, I want to be saved. And I will reach out to you and I will share more with you. Let's pray. Mighty Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God who uproots the terror in our life. The horrible things in our life. Father, you've shown us through your son's word, that all we must do is have mustard seed faith. However small our faith is now, Father, it will be planted and grow if we do so in obedience. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us in this way. Lord, that you would show us every day what this looks like. Father, if there be one that's listening, sound of my voice. Lord, that they need you, stir in their hearts even now, tear out those roots so that they may be saved and they may begin a beautiful and lifelong journey of obedience to you and having faith that grows into a tall tree so that one day, Father, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, Lord, be with us and be with them. I pray this in the sweet and the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen.